Welcome to KZSU 90.1 FM. My name is Jacob Nidek alongside my co-host here in the studio, Zach Safran, in what could be one of the last episodes of the Sports Zoo as we know it. Much like Pac-12 football, this chapter here on this chapter here on the West Coast of the Sports Zoo is coming to a close in all likelihood in the very near future. But you know, we are here. We are ready. And we have a lot to talk about here in the thick of sports. Zach, what's been keeping you busy since last week's episode? Um, you know, I was watching the uh rather rather I was trying to do homework and of course I get a notification. Suns Lakers in season tournament quarterfinals. Close game, a couple minutes left in the fourth. We spoke a little bit about the in-season tournament earlier uh, in the quarter on the sports zoo, and I was a skeptic. You know, what differentiates these from being impactful games? What makes it different from any old regular season product? And uh, I'll be honest, oh my gosh, playoff atmosphere. I was shaking my fist at the screen when they did not call or rather, they did give the Lakers that timeout. Should have been a turnover. Should have been a Suns bucket. Game should have gone to overtime. Um, needless to say, yes, we are at the end of the quarter, but I've kept myself busy. Um, loving loving this time of the year, really. Basketball going on. College football playoff coming up, which I know we'll talk about. Um, Stanford sports in the fall wrapping up. Women's soccer certainly taking uh, a good chunk of my attention and for good reason. Uh, but I'll tell you, I'm just happy to be here, Jacob. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with, with your analysis there of the in-season tournament. Heading into the year, it really felt like there was a lot of unknown in terms of what the actual impact would be. And yet, you see now, just on social media, I mean, NBA Twitter is fired up about it. You've got players posting. I saw Devin Booker posted a screenshot yeah. on his Instagram story of that loose ball. You, you know the uh, last two-minute report, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, an official report NBA officials released kind of detailing what calls they made right and wrong in the final two minutes. They said the Lakers' timeout was correct. Interesting. I don't. I sh- yeah. That, that, <laughs> you know, that's, that is an interesting, and that's that's. Wow. I'm surprised to hear that. Call me Devin Booker. I'm perplexed too, man. (laughs) But, I mean, the other thing is, you know, there's some teams whose players aren't making that much money. I can't remember which team. I think it might have been the Pacers or I don't know who, but each player gets $500,000. And I honestly didn't think that was going to make a difference because you have such high salaries. But you see by the players on the benches those guys are making you know a couple million dollars if that so getting an extra five hundred thousand dollars is you know that that's making a third of your salary 25 percent of your salary even just 10 percent extra of your salary in the regular season is a great opportunity that i think previously i guess i had had undervalued a little bit totally i mean yeah indiana last in the league in uh, payroll this year, and lo and behold, two seed, um, they will be having a bit of a Goliath in the Bucks in that semifinal. But hey, they just beat the Celtics, 
uh, which is for those of you who don't know, who are not our loyal sports zoo listeners, want to give a shout out to our loyal ones. But you know, glad you're joining us. If you didn't know, Jacob over here is a Celtics <laughs> fan. Uh, I, I ask you, does it hurt to see uh, your team be eliminated? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Really? Losing a regular season game, yeah, it's like, oh, you shake them off. Yeah, but yeah. to be eliminated in in the in-season tournament, especially by the Pacers, <laughs> it feels, yeah, it feels a little bit personal. And it, to me, puts a lot of weight on that tournament because the whole NBA world is talking about, oh, wow, the Pacers beat the Celtics by 10, which, you know, that can happen on any given night. It's about the sum of the 82 games. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you put such emphasis on this that it kind of makes you wonder, like, oh, what, like, yeah, we're 15 and five, but are we playoff ready? Are we going to be able to compete down the stretch? What What's going on? And yeah, that, that third quarter was tough. Ended up, you know, having a lead, blowing it. And that third quarter is kind of whenever everything, you know, fell apart. And, and quarters like that happened during the year, but this in-season tournament just puts such a big emphasis that kind of it kind of makes you wonder like oh what what is the true status of of the team yeah yeah i mean for those of you who have not kept up with the nba season the celtics 15 and 5 only behind the timberwolves who are 15 and 4 so half a game back from top place in the nba and yet falling to a pacers team that is 6th 11 and 8 in the conference i mean just a, I guess a, a a case in point on this in season tournament is is really working. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, kind of switching to to the individual lens of this year's NBA season. I think the biggest headline before obviously had to be Victor Wimbenyama, but what other players have you know either performed better or worse than what you've expected, kind of on that individual level. Yeah, I mean, uh, a big debate, you, when you bring up Victor Weminyama, per, first person that comes to my mind really is Chet Holmgren, who, for as much PR as Victor demands, Chet may win the Rookie of the Year. Obviously, a little bit of a nuance there is Chet was drafted the year prior, um, got injured in, I believe, a Pro-Am game, if that's right, yeah. in the offseason, didn't play last year, out for the year, now making his NBA debut as really a sophomore some I know have been critics. You, as a redshirt freshman, effectively have that year of the culture down, have that year of the experience, the travel. Um, but Chet, man, he has been turning it on. How about these stats uh, from him? If I can, oh gosh, our, our, our statisticians in the booth pulling it up 17 points per game, eight rebounds per game, and two and a half blocks per game I mean tough to get the representation of the media when you're playing in Oklahoma City but if this guy was in New York okay I think he'd be the talk of the town all over the country yeah absolutely and so you know I feel like Chet's stats were have been better for for a majority of the 20 games so far but Victor's now kind of edging ahead a little bit 19.3 points which is about a point and a half bet better uh 9.7 9.7 rebounds, so about two more per game. Very similar assists, very similar blocks and steals. Chet, though, much more efficient. 53% from the field, 39% from behind the arc. Meanwhile, Victor is at 43% and 27 from deep. Totally. I, I don't want to cut like, you off, but where, where are the, what's the Spurs record? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a <laughs> perfect question. I mean, perfect point, and it begs a question, 
who is playing better and is that difference from which team is better? Yeah. I mean, like, has Victor disappointed your expectations because the Spurs have, you know, what, three wins so far? I think they're three and 14 or something. Yeah. To add a little context, Spurs are three and 16. Three, while geez, wow. The Thunder are 13 and six, which yeah, is nearly, second. nearly uh, opposite. They're inverse records. It's crazy. Nearly, nearly 13 and six. Mind you, the Thunder had a losing record last year. Obviously, you know, the critics, which honestly I, I do see the merit in, Chet has SGA, all right? Chet has Lou Dort. Chet has just a better all-around system. Giddy as well. Don't forget about Giddy. <sighs> I, maybe it's a little too young to mention, or early to mention that one. But uh, yeah, uh, Chet, man, you want a winner, and it, it is kind of tough. I think... What we see winners prevail the most in is the MVP award. You know, you usually see the top guy on the best team in the NBA. But it's interesting to think about it for the rookie of the year comparison. I mean, for me, that is kind of a, 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 a stats favorite. You're just going to look at the points per game, really. I can't remember the last time someone who who wasn't atop that list didn't win the award. I mean... Anthony Edwards versus LaMelo Ball may be kind of a, a big point for debate, but that one even, you could argue, Ant was a bigger impact player than LaMelo. So something <clears throat> to consider. Right now, I, I'm liking Chet. I want to see a, not not more from Wemby. I want to see more from the Spurs. Yeah, no, absolutely. Victor Wembanyama currently the leading scorer on the Spurs, while Chet is not first. On the Thunder. He's not even second on the Thunder. Oh. Actually, the third leading scorer. So who's, who's second? Jalen Williams. There you go. Yeah. Or I guess they're both averaging 17.6 points, so a tie, I should say. But, yeah, the the former first-round pick from Santa Clara kind of getting it done. Shout-out to Jalen Williams. But, yeah, interesting question. And, you know, you kind of touched on the MVP, which seems like Jokic is someone that has absolutely remained a constant in the debate around MVP the last few years and has re-cemented himself this year, although obviously very early in the year. What have you seen from him so far or from the, the bigger field for the Most Valuable Player Award? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we said, we're talking about the uh, team performance. Nuggets have kind of backed off a little bit, started off the year as really clear-cut number ones. Now they're 14-7, and seven, which is by no means bad, but it'll place them third in the West. I mean, Jokic just doing Jokic things, putting up 29-13-9, a near triple-double average. That's just absurd, right? I, again, have never been on the Jokic train. I It's hard to admit this, but it is true. He's a phenomenal player. He's phenomenal at what he does. will continue to do so. I just don't like watching him. I wonder if voter fatigue will set in. If you tell me he wins MVP this year with three and you look at Steph Curry, who only has two. I'm sorry, but not only from who's better right now as we Curry continues to age, but from a legacy standpoint, I don't know about that one. Yeah, uh, three MVPs is crazy, but also to do it in, in a fashion of back-to-back-to-back would be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, right now, currently eighth in scoring, first in rebounds, third in assists. It'll be fun. I think this season feels like it's going to be... There's a lot of storylines to watch, both new and old. You know, you have 
the Celtics with a few new pieces. You have Wimby and Chet and the new guys, but you also have, you know, some of the old leaders. What are the Warriors going to do? What are the Lakers going to do? Are the Bucks going to be able to rebound? Feels like this year is just primed to to be a really fun NBA season, and we're just around a, a quarter of the way in so far. Totally, totally. I, I will say, you know, early season prediction. We're in December right now. How about Shea Gilgis Alexander? You know, we talked about the Thunder, big turnaround, averaging thirty-one six and six. Uh, I've never been the biggest fan of his play style. Again, it's just tough to kind of keep up with a guy when you're not in that market and they're over in Oklahoma City, probably the smallest market in all of the NBA. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think he's a guy that we should watch out for if the Thunder continue to have the success that they do. Um, we might see him hoisting up that trophy come the end of the regular season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, hailing from point guard U, Kentucky, it feels like they've put so many guys in the league. And SGA, I don't know, his speed is ridiculous. Like yeah. him off the dribble, there's no one in the NBA that can stay in front of him. And I think he's really learned that and is also, I think, really developed his ability to get to the free throw line. He's someone that, you know, shoots the free throw Shoots the ball at the charity stripe at a remarkable rate, 90% last year, currently at 93% this year. And and he got there for the first time in double digits last year, averaged 11 free throws a game, which if you can make 90% of those, that's, you know, nine free points right there. He's realized no one can stop him. He can get to the line at ease. And that that is going to be a really fun team for those down in Oklahoma City if they can stay healthy keep everyone in check and making good decisions and um <laughs> you know keep developing the the talent they have it uh you know it's about that time on this this episode and this week that we mentioned our flag football team jacob i've <laughs> I've, I've seen the wheels on you you put uh shake just alexander and yourself on the baseline what, what's the margin of victory to reach the other baseline yeah that is you know i generally operate in the mile or the 40-yard dash. <laughs> so baseline, I'm going to have to do a little bit of transla- uh, like metric conversion here. I-, I think he's getting to the other baseline when I'm probably... I'd say maybe half... I would say half no, court. No, you're past... I, you I, 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 I think you're past half court. Yeah, I, I have no... It's hard to, to judge, but... Yeah, I don't know. He He's quick. If we're talking about while dribbling a basketball, I'm definitely not getting a half court. <laughs> but if we're just talking about running a straight line, we'll see. Yeah, no. He, uh, the thing is, I think he's a lot quicker, right? Like, right, right. if we were doing like a cone drill, NFL combine style, <laughs> it would not be close at all. This, maybe, once I get going with that head of steam, you know, that, you got to watch out. I've but. seen it on the real <laughs> fields. <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so, I mean, speaking of, of football, college football and i i mean i don't know if it's coming across to our listeners right now that are sprinkled here on campus in the bay area in the united states and across the world shout out to those of you listening abroad right now we love you we respect you and we appreciate you tuning in college football and texas is in we are back (laughs) baby oh my god i'll say it horns go up quinn ears for president (laughs) i want all the smoke but I mean, what a crazy, crazy weekend of college football. There was only a handful of games, but the drama that unfolded was enough to keep you filled for days on end. I mean, surely, surely we know exactly what the topic of conversation will be. Florida State, what? What? How are you going to tell me you go 13-0, and 
Power Five. You know the ACC, by the way, most bowl teams in all of college football, all of college football Division One. Okay, the champion of perhaps the all-around best conference in college football placed out of the college football playoff. Jacob, what is up with that? Yeah, you know, I think it, it came down to, to me, the crux of the argument, I guess I should say, is best versus most deserving. Mm. You know, mm. I think, to me, was Florida State one of the best four teams? Absolutely not. But were they the one of the most four deserving 100%? I, I It's hard to understand how you can overlook an undefeated conference champion who... Not only won every game, but scheduled two Power 5 away non-conference games. One of which was against the LSU Tigers, who they easily defeated. So yeah, were they the best? No. But were they most deserving? Yes. And and I guess it kind of brings it to a more philosophical question that (laughs) the committee answered as, we want the four best. But I guess, in your opinion, Zach... Should it be most deserving or should it be best for? Yeah, first of all, that was very, very well put. Very well put. Um, I I think it should be most de- deserving, I suppose. But look, as is the case with conference realignment, as is the case with administrative decisions, and as if you're a young listener out there, you'll soon to find out, as is the case with everything, money talks. It's all about the money, okay? These com- these uh, committee members, they're not here about football. They're about here about maximizing the amount of money that these playoff broadcasts can bring, okay? Yes, uh, Florida State is not one of the top four teams. They're not one of the four best teams in college football, okay? You place them up against Michigan, I guarantee you they're getting throttled. Throttled, okay? But they did everything they could. And more. What what more could you ask for than perfection? So, I personally, yes, I think it should be most deserving. However, I, I believe it might be written in the bylaws, or it was just a quote from uh, a uh, college football playoff committee member, but they said their job is to elect the four best football teams, not, you know, whoever did X, Y, and Z. So, for going with that logic, which I see the merit in, I totally agree with, yeah. You know, this was the right decision. They, in my eyes, I did not think it was going to happen. I think it should have happened, but it's kind of like when someone says something or does something. We all think in something. No one's going to say it. No one's going to do it. College football playoff committee did it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also interesting, those bylaws, you know, you write them up kind of as a joke, but <laughs> they do come into play. I mean, I you read them and they had a clause in there about being able to adjust the team's ranking if they lose a head coach, an assistant coach, or a player That's due in to the injury. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, the Jordan Travis injury, obviously a huge factor, but something that I hadn't even thought about, and, and I think Travis, I can't remember if it was on his Instagram or his Twitter, but he said something along the lines of, I wish I had broken my leg sooner. That way this team could show that they're a very holistic team that is much more than just a quarterback, mm-hmm. which I don't know that that's to me is one just so sad. Like, dude has been you know came back for an extra year, star of the show, breaks his leg, loses in his what could be his like a magical season, and he's like, I wish my I broke my leg sooner. So just want to acknowledge that first. But 
it, it does it, that is something I hadn't I guess previously thought of which is you know if if he had broken his leg you know three weeks ago as opposed to or three games ago as opposed to one or mm-hmm. two would Florida State have gotten in if they could prove that you know a backup quarterback could do the job and then the other thing is you know they had to play with their third string quarterback so you know if if the second string quarterback doesn't go down as well do they get in there's just a lot of unanswerable questions regarding the health and when those injuries occurred that that definitely affected the outcome um but are things i i hadn't necessarily considered before no what a good question um i i think totally um kind of saw it with harbaugh that they were put to the test um and they won without him obviously you know big 10 is, is is perhaps even a step up at least at the highest level um give it three weeks with a with a backup quarterback I think yeah I think they do make it for sure especially given they played you know Florida or, or rather Miami and Florida North Alabama is gonna be a given but Louisville too I totally think so and, and I think that's why there still was an opportunity for them to make it even with Jordan Travis out but they needed to really show out. Um, and that's not what they did against Louisville. Look, a win is a win, okay? But you want to show that you're the best, you got to play like the best. I think that's what Texas did, all right? Argument for them to be, you know, beneath Alabama, especially the way the Crimson Tide have been playing as of late. But Texas absolutely manhandled Oklahoma State. And for that reason, a phenomenal choice for number three in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, Texas is, is starting to play the best football they have the whole year. They've always been a team with one of the highest ceilings. I feel like they, they've struggled. You know, they've had three 20-point collapses in the second half. They ended up winning all three of those games, but were ahead by three touchdowns or more and ended up either being tied or going behind. And luckily for them, that was in the middle of the season because recency bias comes in. People forget, and in the last two weeks, they had a four-touchdown victory and a seven touchdown yeah. victory. And both of those are on national television, which, you know, they get the benefit of. But, you know, it, it is a fascinating question of it's not only are you winning, but how are you winning? And luckily for Texas, they were able to put on two really complete games at the end of the year and kind of, you know, just hide some of those lesser performances uh, in the middle of the season and, and whatnot. 100%. I mean, for that reason is why I was kind of, very skeptical of Georgia. I did not think this was the same uh, Kirby Smart-led team that we have seen in years past. was not surprised that Alabama beat them. Matter of fact, I was surprised it was that close. Um, I'm honestly a little bit, sh- not shocked, but upset that they're still at six. I think you could drop them even further, really. Um, but it will be very interesting to see Georgia play Florida State. I think that might answer a lot of questions about whether the committee made the right or wrong call here. That's maybe the bowl game I'm most looking forward to, at least in this upcoming round, just because it'll answer so many questions. But again, Georgia, a team that I was skeptical of because, like you said, they were not beating teams by a lot. Look, a, a big victory over Ole Miss. I hand you that. Ole Miss was number 11, but a nine nine-point victory against Mizzou, who I thought was overrated at nine. Tennessee handled them by 28. Florida, Vanderbilt only beaten by 17. A historically terrible program, by the way. Wins over Auburn, UAB, South Carolina, all not by that much. And and a lot of those games, they were tied or losing at halftime and pulled away late in the fourth quarter, too. Like, some of those scores also very deceptive in that, yeah, they won by, you know, 17, but 
it was a dogfight until yeah. midway through the third or fourth quarter. Exactly. So Georgia, I, I'm very glad they're also out of the playoff. You know, call it spectator fatigue, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> this Florida State Georgia matchup, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two points first, I guess, or two questions rather. Uh, first is, is that going to be a good matchup? It seems like if you're Florida State, the way that goes, a lot of players might opt out. You know, like. Will Florida State come to play, I guess, is, is the question I'm posing. Can you even take that game seriously if you're Georgia, too? Both teams, you know, kind of get snubbed in a lot of ways. Will their players show up? And then the second question is more broad. And the four teams they chose, you, you've said that you would have had Florida State in. You like Texas. Do you agree with Michigan and Washington? Or, or what were your four teams, Zach? Yeah, interesting. I, I, just to start with that first question, I honestly don't see the upside for Georgia. Um, I, I don't think that they have much to prove. They also don't have much to lose. So who knows what type of Georgia team we'll have, how many people will be bought in. But that's that's not going to be as interesting as seeing whether or not the Florida State players will come to show. And I, I really do see this one of two ways. I see that they are eager to uh, really show that they belonged and Georgia's a great opportunity to do that because the team that was number one essentially all year they go out and win and in and, and perhaps convincing fashion you know we they'll really have stuck it to the media mm-hmm. but on the other hand we could see a very discouraged program like you said people not really bought in people upset about the decision I don't know what Florida State team we're going to see I think that they will come to play but I still think they'll get beat. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. Keep going. I mean, for my four teams, again, I, I, I thought Michigan, Washington, and Florida State were locks. Again, like I said, I don't think Florida State is a top four team. But what I anticipated was those three teams with Florida State slotted in at three and really Alabama, Texas, uh, and not Georgia State, but Ohio State as a potential third team. Mm. Um I thought that the controversy of this decision would come from Alabama versus Texas as opposed to, obviously, what went down with the Seminoles. Uh, I would have chosen Alabama. I think that, it's no disrespect to you, Jacob, but this is a different Alabama team that we've seen ever since their Texas loss, really. Of course, you know, a few early season hiccups, but oh my gosh, dare I say, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this later, they are my prediction for the national champions this year. Yeah, you know that that's a fascinating <laughs> take considering that they you know needed a fourth and 31 to be <laughs> Auburn who lost the week before to uh I believe you know first of all Auburn 6 and 6 play them to the very end and I believe before that Auburn had lost by 21 to New Mexico State. So, you know, New Mexico State beats You don't know what's Auburn. going on in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> New Mexico State beats Auburn by 21, and then Alabama needs a fourth and 31 to win by three. It's it's crazy. People forget about, you know, different Dude, it, things happen in different weeks. Different teams show up. The Iron Bowl but, is something else. Yeah, you know, maybe, <laughs> but three-point win over 6-6 six and six Auburn two weeks ago. Is, I'm just, I don't know. I agree. They're playing at a high level, but I, I think 10 points... In Tuscaloosa, which is the number of points that Texas beat them by and the location where the game was, is, you know, a two scores that Alabama would have to be better. And I think now that game is probably a toss-up, maybe, you know, in favor of Alabama a little bit. But 
I think 10 points, two possession game at their house is a lot, is a huge swing. And I also think Texas is playing their best football as well now. So That's totally fair. That's totally fair. I guess Texas playing good football, obviously have shown up all year. Playing Washington, who has perhaps the weakest resume out of these two teams, because the only you know real significant victories in my eyes have been those two wins over Oregon. I thought Oregon was going to spank them. Uh, but matchup-wise, this Washington team was a great, great matchup, and I, I, uh, I'm just not, I'm not very bullish on the Huskies. I think Texas will beat them. I'm curious your thoughts, especially as a Longhorns fan, what you see in this Huskies squad. Yeah, I mean, one, the storyline for Texas has been fascinating. Last year, went eight and four in the regular season. And then played against Washington in the Alamo Bowl, where they lost twenty-seven to twenty. That was a game that I was actually fortunate enough to be at. Texas has beaten all four of those regular season teams that they lost to last year in this current season, and so playing against Washington for the second year means that they now can complete the full, you know, revenge tour with all five. Get that fifth Infinity Stone that is the revenge over Washington. Um, <laughs> So I think that is interesting. Another interesting point, you look at the the starting rosters in the that bowl game last year, so many returners for both teams, mm-hmm. so many veterans, um, from O-line players to skill, defensive line, linebackers. Um, I think this could be a really high-scoring game, though. Washington's defense, really bad against the pass. I think rated 122nd oh, man. out of 130 teams. Texas has relied on their defense a lot. Their third down defense currently second in the country. Their run defense has been absolutely superb. But both secondaries are a little bit shaky. And I think right now the way I see that is kind of which defense is going to be able to get more stops, force more punts. Um, And I think Texas has the ability to really push Washington to be one-dimensional to, to force Michael Penix Jr. to beat them with his arm, which is something he's very comfortable doing. But I would be curious if Washington's defense will be able to do the same to to Quinn Ewers or if that's even desirable for them to do. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it, they, I guess Washington, you could say, is playing their best football after a, a fairly convincing victory over uh, Oregon. But I share the same sentiment as you. I'm not a believer in this Washington Huskies squad, especially with the way Quinn Ewers and Co. have been playing. Um, you know, I don't know if we want to jump right into predictions yet, but on that side of the bracket, how about a little three-two upset in favor of the Longhorns? I mean, when was the last time you know this? When was the last time Texas was in the national championship? Yeah, two thousand and nine against Alabama. Well, there you go. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah. I mean, the the other thing that's interesting is Vegas. I think. Right now, I, I the lines have changed a little bit, but Vegas has Texas and Alabama as favorites, the three and the four over the one and two, which is which is fascinating. I mean, obviously, I'm gonna ride with Texas currently, as we, you know, speak, or I guess not right now, right now, but have been trying to figure out a way to get to New Orleans and go to the game over uh, winter break. But I think this is a game that that Texas ends up. Coming out with, I think, thirty-four to, I think thirty-four to twenty-seven. Thirty-four to twenty-seven. Wow, I I like Quinn Ewers. 
I dislike the Huskies. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and take uh, a little bit of a higher scoring game. You know, you got Big Twelve, Big Ten, at least future Big Ten. That is, yeah. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get Texas thirty-eight to thirty-one? Okay, there you have it. And then you know, heading over to the other side, Alabama have touched on them. We haven't touched on Michigan, who you know beats Ohio State and then plays against Iowa. Quite possibly one of the worst ten win teams in the history of football. <laughs> Bet the under. <laughs> <laughs> they now have more punting yards than they do offensive yards. Um, what do you think about Michigan? I mean, you, I don't know if you saw the video of them reacting, but they were not excited to have to play against Alabama. Um, and I think that speaks to Alabama as much as it speaks to Michigan. What's your read on the Wolverines right now? It, it's so strange because they're so dominant, yet at the same time, it's not reflected in the box score. I mean, I think the best way to describe this Michigan team came when their uh, victory against Penn State, 24-15 to in Pennsylvania, and that was the first game that uh, Harbaugh was uh, suspended. They ran it for 227 rushing yards, okay, Correct me if I'm wrong. J.J. McCarthy threw eight passes. Um, they said, we are going to th- run this ball right down your throat. You're maybe, Yeah, you're one of the best rushing defenses in the country. I don't care. I'm going to do you one better. Um, to me, this Michigan squad is all about showing you up, uh, not in the flashy sense, but just demonstrating the physical, the mental, the capabilities that they possess over you. Alabama is going to be interesting because they are heavy hitters playing some of their best football. Um, I, 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 honestly, Michigan's my favorite team out of all these four. Yet favorite as in like just as just a fan. I, of? I like as okay. a fan of. Okay. Yeah, 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 as a fan of. Uh, but I'm just so uncertain about this Alabama team. Like I said, I think that they're playing some of their best football. Of course, fourth and thirty-one was converted against Auburn, but yeah, give it a break. It's the Iron Bowl. Um, Michigan, Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy, a lot of talented players. They'll have Harbaugh back as well. They've beaten some phenomenal teams. I'm just I'm just so hesitant because they haven't really been here. And when they have, they've fallen short. Oh, they've fallen so short. So it really depends on what version of Michigan football we're going to get. Are we going to get the same team we've seen in the playoffs in years past? Or are we going to see the team that has shown each and every one of their opponents that they're bigger and better than them? Yeah, and... You know, that's a great question. And it seems like for Ohio State and Michigan, the two games that matter are the game against each other and then their bowl game. Harbaugh has been absolutely wonderful in big game. I think has won the last three, if I'm not mistaken, but one in five in bowl games and 0-2 in in the CFP under him. Meanwhile, on the other side, you have Nick Saban, right? Nick Mm -hmm. Saban, there's... Nothing else needs to be said. So, in terms of preparation, how, you know, what do you think Harbaugh? Where's Harbaugh's head at in terms of preparation? He can't, he hasn't won in bowl games. He's gotten embarrassed in the CFP. Is you know how is he thinking about this? I think he's focused on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they know their offense or they know their defense is going to show up no matter what. They have the talent on the offense. Like I said, Blake Corum, I, I think he's uh, 
undervalued as 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 one of the best running backs in the nation. JJ McCarthy. I don't know why people aren't talking about him more. Both absent from the Heisman finalist list. Um, I think he's talking to those two. He's revving them up. He's getting the offense going. He's trying to get them in their groove, get them in their mojo, pull out all the tricks in the bag for this Alabama defense. Um, and if you have that side of the ball figured out, I think that you have a real good shot against Alabama. But will they be able to is the question, Mark. I mean, they have not been themselves the last few weeks. Uh, we'll see. if Is that because Harbaugh has been gone? Very well could be. And then and the extra time up until um, you know those those New Year's Six Bowl games um, could help them out. Yeah, no, that that's definitely a very interesting thing that many people forget about. These players are beaten up and bruised. It felt like felt like in every game there was a player going down every other play. Right now, many of them aren't practicing. You don't start bowl practices until December fifteenth. So these teams, all of which have played an extra game in the conference championship, now have you know two weeks off and then a whole additional two weeks to get healthy get right so both teams should be about as strong as they get yeah i mean i, I in my eyes i think this might be the nat the real national championship you know completely disagree texas <laughs> texas is will be in the fake the real every version of the national championship texas will be in we want all the smoke with See, everybody the, the, the beautiful thing about uh being on the radio throwing it on spotify and apple podcast is uh you know there are receipts, and, and I, I'm hoping for your sake, Jacob, you don't end up on freezing cold tape. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair but, enough. I, you know, you did mention Michigan's uh, reaction to Alabama getting that four spot. I know that went fairly viral, circulated around a lot of social media. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts as a Michigan player seeing Alabama in that four seed? And what are your thoughts as an Alabama player seeing Michigan not too excited to face you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh I mean, I think off the bat, if you're Michigan, you probably hope for Florida State because their offense has absolutely sputtered Mm -hmm. since Jordan Travis went down, put up 26 or put up a handful of points against Florida, even less against Louisville. And so I think if you're Michigan, if you play against Florida State, it's super easy to make them extremely one-dimensional um, in terms of offense and defense. You can essentially shut down their offense, and as long as you don't allow any big defensive or special teams play, you don't have to do all that much on offense, which I think really benefits Michigan. Alabama's just coming in hot. They beat Georgia. They also have momentum and really explosiveness that I think Florida State lacks. Um, and then I think in terms of matchups, you don't want Alabama and Nick Saban to get a month to prepare <laughs> for you. Nick Saban, 6-1 in the college football semifinal playoffs. In the college football playoff semifinals, I mean, one of the best coaches in the history of football, um, up there with Bill Belichick in the NFL and the likes. Uh I think that's another big reason is you just know that this Alabama team is going to be revved up and ready to play, and they're already hot enough. If you're Alabama, on the other hand, you know, I I think you're probably initially just lucky to be in, Mm -hmm. but it seems like the Crimson Tide are are playing with a little bit of house money now where (laughs) they are probably confident playing against anybody. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, against Texas, they're probably thinking, this team beat us, we want revenge. If you're looking at Washington, you're thinking... 
Um, there's no way that that they're going to be able to stop our offense. Michigan, you're thinking this team is a lot more physical than Texas and Washington, but can also become really one-dimensional. I think the way that Michigan plays, you know, the kind of ground and pounded out is a little bit at odds with what Alabama likes to do, which they like to play great defense, but they like to score a lot too. So um, I think it's going to be, you know, a battle of, of who can win in the trenches, which front seven, which, which front seven plays better defensively. Um, and, and it'll go from there. But I, I think my money is definitely on Alabama over Michigan. Interesting. That's going to be the same for me, which, um, would that be the first four, one upset in uh college football playoff history in this format? Um, I'm not sure. TCU last year was a, were they, I, I don't remember what seed was, they that were. That was a two, three. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, so we both have. I mean, I guess to expand, yes, I, I have Alabama beating Michigan. I again, Michigan, my favorite team, as in you know, I like them the most. Uh, I just don't see them getting past this Nick Saban led squad who is peaking. Um, because Michigan, like like they, in an odd way, dominate but don't extend the lead. And if Alabama can hang around, they, they've been real comfortable in the fourth quarter and breaking out. Um, and I and I have the Crimson Tide going, but. Sounds like both you and I have a Crimson Tide Texas matchup. Uh, obviously, you know you are a Texas fan, but you're also a journalist now. Um, so, <laughs> who wins the 2024 college football playoff? Yeah, I mean, one, it just feels surreal that we're agreeing on Texas being in the national championship. <laughs> I feel like I've waited since 2009 for this moment to happen. Um, yeah, you know. I actually think Michigan is a much more favorable matchup for Texas. Texas is much better against the run. I also just think it's so hard to beat Alabama twice in one year. Like, I, I, when was the last? Or I guess maybe Georgia might have might have been doing that the last few years. But either way, that that's ridiculous. Um, you know, being a journalist is very important, <laughs> and there's a lot of integrity that comes with that. But I. I Texas gets it done. Wow. Texas is our national champion. The Horns are back. They put it on Nick Saban. They head into the SEC, leaving the Big 12 in dust with the national championship trophy in their bag. Texas over Alabama, 31-20. to Double-digit victory once again. Wow. I thought you were about to commit treason for a half <laughs> day. I thought you were about to commit treason, but... Um, yeah, a lot of interesting storylines. Like you said, Texas, first time in the national championship in over a decade, which is just crazy that we, we say that like it's a crazy thing, but you think about how many teams there are, um, it, it really is remarkable that they make it that frequently. Um, Alabama, Nick Saban, perhaps outshined by Kirby Smart in recent years, and Saban kind of back on the come up. Harbaugh getting suspended, returning uh, back to the sidelines now, and them fighting through the adversity of these allegations. And, you know, everything going on over there. And even Washington, Michael Penix Jr., perhaps not getting the glory he deserves, also um, a Heisman finalist. And so they, in the final year of the Pac-12, win that. It'd be interesting to have a, a Pac-12 victor as the time of their demise. All of that going on, but like I said, don't like Washington in this matchup. I take Texas. Michigan, as good of the, as they have been, Alabama wins that one and so an Alabama Texas matchup in my eyes 
in which Nick Saban returns <laughs> to the mountaintop of college football and uh, Alabama winning this one 34-27. Alright, there you go. I mean, the other... I Steve Sarkeesian, former Alabama uh, offensive coordinator too, so another Saban versus... or The, the tree underneath Saban continues. Kirby Smart the last few years now seems like a potential for, for Steve Sarkeesian to... To be and I mean, what a story he has too. Overcoming alcoholism, bouncing around jobs, now getting a chance to redeem himself under Nick Saban, and then has brought Texas back in what previous head coaches have not been able to do the last decade or so for for the program in Austin. Remarkable, remarkable, um, amazing coaches, amazing players too. Um, the Heisman finalists were announced on Monday. Those four being LSU's Jaden Daniels, Oregon's Bo Nix, Washington's Michael Penix Jr., um, and then Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. Any thoughts? Oh, um, so many oh, thoughts. There it is. Any thoughts on this <laughs> list, Jake? I'd love to hear kind of what comes to mind first when you hear those four. I mean, the first is the disrespect <laughs> to so many wide receivers across the country. Marvin Harrison Jr., I don't know how he's done it. I don't know how he's been able to... You know, garner so much national attention. He's not first in receiving yards. He's not second in receiving yards. As LeBron said, not one, not two, not three, not four. <laughs> Zach, he's number nine in the country. He's not even a top five receiving yards in the country. Now he has fourteen reception receiving touchdowns. Oh, that's nice and dandy. <laughs> Is he first in the country? No. He's top he's top five, but there's plenty of others. In terms of receptions, number of receptions that he has, that he has, does he is he leading the country? Also, no. I don't get how Marvin Harrison Jr. is invited because <laughs> you have so many receivers that are doing equal, if not better, things. Two of them are in the Pac-12. I mean, Troy Franklin from Oregon, eighty-one catches for thirteen hundred yards and four touchdowns. Romy Odunze from Washington, 81 catches, 1,400 yards, 13 receiving touchdowns. Those are two guys, to me, that are way more deserving than Marvin Harrison Jr. to be in New York. So I guess um, over here I'll be saying all aboard the hate train for Marvin <laughs> Harrison Jr. I, I, I don't see it. I think it's just uh, you know a, a, a brand name almost with this one. Look, he's a talented player. He he might have the best career in the NFL as a pro among all those wide receivers, but Heisman's not about that. Okay, Heisman's about who performed the best this last college year. I mean, it'd be one thing if he willed Oregon State to the college football playoff. It'd be one thing if he put up a couple hundred yard performance on every team he played, but I mean, I think he was better last year. So, I, I will say I was pretty surprised that Marvin Harrison Jr. was there, but I know you said you had a lot of thoughts. Do the other three kind of surprise you in terms of the fact that all three of them are here, the fact that Bo Nix is still sticking around and is the favorite over Michael Penix Jr., despite Washington Huskies you know, outshining them twice in those matchups? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just yeah completely agree I do feel like the reason, another thought, you know, Jaden Daniels, I think I've seen completely all over the map in terms of comparisons, Mm -hmm. but it's, to me, the thing that has been 
so interesting is the teams that he's done well against and the team that he's struggled interesting. against. Against Florida State, one touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. Against Alabama, two touchdowns. But against Grambling State, he has five. Against, I don't even know who this team is. Oh, against Georgia State, the Georgia State Panthers, he has seven, right? Against Florida, <laughs> he again, he has five. I just think he has put up video game numbers. I just think the talent that he puts that up against are bad teams. Um, and in, in games where he's needed the most, he's turned the ball over. He had an interception against Florida State. He had an interception against Alabama, um, the the two best teams they've played, and and I'm just not a believer that he has performed again well against quality opponents. I I agree with that. I mean, interesting that they have the best offense. Um, you know, consistently we hear it's the LSU defense that let them down. I I definitely think his performances are a little overstated. I mean, yeah, well. Remarkable, he has 1,100 yards on the ground, sure. Remarkable, he leads the country in total touchdowns. But again, kind of boils down to that age-old question we spoke about earlier in the context of the NBA is, do you reward winners or do you reward, I don't even know in this case I'd say talent, but do you reward stats? Do you reward production? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he ultimately will win the Heisman, but I guess I just don't necessarily think that the stats are the most like does he deserve to be New York absolutely is he the best player in college football maybe I don't know I I just don't think the narrative though is necessarily as true and I think the Heisman will ultimately reward him because I don't really think that any of the other players I don't think there's another player that you can really point to and and see as an alternative um because I do think that Generally, this award has gone to the best team's quarterback or the quarterback with the best stats that has at least, you know, nine wins or, mm-hmm. or 10 wins. And LSU has been able to to kind of meet that that threshold. They have nine wins, three losses, and his season is, is statistically very strong. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they reward him, but I just don't actually think he's doing it because he's also just staying in games so late like deep into the fourth quarter when they're already up by you know three or four touchdowns putting up four touchdowns against army when you win 62 to zero is just like pointless to me. like that to me means nothing in reality yeah we have a 2016-17 russell westbrook on our yeah. hands <laughs> yeah I, why, why no shadur why no travis hunter you know i bet you coach hashtag coach prime is a little upset about that one yeah i mean what are what are your thoughts on this list do you like it were there people that you is anyone that you would have preferred to see and who do you think this ends up going to yeah no i honestly i do think it's the right four um, especially the way the season has shaken up you want to talk about all-encompassing bonix has really been incredible michael penix has been remarkable um you know a little bit of a landslide in that middle middle third of the season but playing his best football right now jane daniels you know yeah statistically great producer and like we said, Marvin Harrison Jr., um, maybe they were just like, we know no one else is winning out of these three, so let's just throw a rando fourth in. <laughs> but um, I, I, I guess they have it right. Now, the fact that Jane Daniels is such a favorite, I suppose, is, is a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, I don't think he has really separated himself 
that far from the others. Granted, I think Bo Nix's loss kind of helps that because now you have an undefeated team, um, Oregon with two losses, LSU with three. Had Bo Nix won in the Pac-12 championship and they're in the college football playoff, I think there would be a real case for him to win this one, if not become slash retain title as the favorite. Um, But the way things have shaken out, yeah, Jaden Daniels, our likely 2023-24 Heisman uh, winner, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, the odds, something really interesting. Daniels at minus 1,400. Next closest is Phoenix Jr. He's at plus 900, which is, that's a huge gap. Um, And and so, yeah, just a interesting thing. And Phoenix and Knicks are much closer. Or, yeah, Phoenix and Knicks are are very close. Knicks is at plus 2,200. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. at plus 20,000. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you spending some money on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just put a dollar down, and if he wins <laughs> it, I'll take my I'll take my 200. Um, um, but. I'm, I'm curious. You know, we like to talk about grand scheme things on this, on this show. Um, all three quarterbacks, transfer quarterbacks, uh, Jane Daniels coming from Arizona State, Bo Nix coming from Auburn, and uh, which was like 27 years ago, by the way, uh, <laughs> and uh, Michael Phoenix coming from Indiana. Is uh, is this a cause for concern? Is this? I mean, it, it's a trend that's been going on. Just just to give it some light, three of the, or, or rather, there's been six players to win the Heisman who have played at multiple colleges, and uh, five of them have come in the last what six ish years Baker Mayfield Kyler Murray Joe Burrow Caleb Williams and then whoever this will be this year what are your thoughts on that I mean again era of conference realignment transfer portal era yeah I mean I think we're likely to see that because the number of starting quarterbacks in the transfer portal is absolutely ridiculous uh I mean Aiden Childs currently in Dante Moore, another starter. Cam Ward from Washington State. Will Howard started at Kansas State. Riley Leonard at Duke. Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, who's thrown for over 5,000 yards. Kyle McCord, the Ohio State winner. Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Tyler Van Dyke, Miami. These are all guys that are multi-year starters in college that are now in the transfer portal this offseason, Zach. And I think that sets it up where the Heisman and the way that that culture has been cultivated where you're rewarding you know which quarterback has had the best statistical season on a winning and overall nationally recognized team is going to be one of those guys I mean all of those guys are complete game changers right Ohio State is going to be shopping a quarterback in the offseason Oklahoma is going to be shopping a quarterback in the offseason. If Caleb Williams leaves, USC is going to be shopping. It appears that Alabama has found their quarterback in Jalen Milrow, but they could be shopping as well. And I guess I think that the way it's set up, with the number of quarterbacks that are in the uh, transfer portal that have experience that are very high quality, the Heisman Trophy will probably go to tr- transfers more in the future if this trend continues. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, something I, I I just learned, the statisticians in the back brought it up. We, we give Bo Nix a lot of flack for being, you know, 80 years old and being in college, most games played in uh, college football history. He's only played five seasons. Michael Penix Jr. is in his sixth year of playing. That's just crazy to me. I mean, 
Yeah, you better be good after all those years of experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we haven't really talked about Stanford football much because we've been talking about, you know, high-quality football today. But (laughs) this is primetime hunting season for transfer portal recruits. These schools, I mean, Alabama, Nick Saban was on an in-home visit last night. Instead of preparing for the semifinal against Michigan, he's recruiting right now. Mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian, same thing. Every head coach at these schools is out on the recruiting trail. You have to hope that Stanford is doing the same and and that co- Coach Troy Taylor is using this time very preciously because we are in the thick of recruiting transfers right now, folks. So if you want any insight into what the Stanford roster might look like next year, now is the time to, to pay attention to that. Yeah, and now more than ever with, with kids transferring left and right and, and really you just need talent and not not in the sense that you got to cultivate it, but that people better be ready to play when they come to the farm. Absolutely, and you know, tying us back into the farm, we have just about two and a half minutes here for our final segment, Athletics Around the Farm. First, want to shout out to the women's volleyball team. They'll be playing here again, and they continue to dominate, winning their first and second round matchup in the NCAA tournament. They have a game against Arizona State, 8.30 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, live here on KZSU. If they win, we'll play the winner of Texas or Tennessee. Um, So shout out to the volleyball team for beginning that national championship march that we all hope is to ensue shortly. Definitely big-time stuff from them, and big-time stuff from Stanford women's soccer. Unfortunately, fell flat. Last week, we previewed their trip out to Cary. They won their first uh, game against BYU in the semis. Uh, 2-0 victory in which two quick goals got them that boost. Unfortunately, fell to Florida State in the national championship. Their first loss of the season that for Stanford, that is. And so a phenomenal year behind them. Um, national runner-up is absolutely something to be proud of. Um, of course, can't forget their male counterpart either. Their season ended prematurely um, in, I believe, the quarterfinals. Um, that men's soccer team, also a phenomenal run. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have the men's basketball team. They're you know right in the thick of it, a team that has you know somehow already... Uh, been able to establish Maples as you know a threatening place to play in college basketball. Four and one on the year at go. home. Currently four and four overall, but most recently uh, they're coming off a double digit victory against San Diego. So shout out to the men's basketball team. And to wrap it up, and perhaps on a little bit of a sour note, maybe we'll have someone else. But women's basketball, their first loss of the season uh, came on Sunday. I mean, a great season they've had. Doubters at the start of the year put them at number 15 in the polls, made it all the way to number three in the country before, quite honestly, an uncharacteristic loss up in Gonzaga. They'll bounce back, hopefully, um, next Friday versus Portland. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as always, it has been my pleasure here on KZSU 90.1 FM, joined by my co-host, Zach Safran. My name is Jacob Neidig. Signing off here on the Sports Zoo. Stay late, wear red, Go card.